and talk. Hello and welcome to Grow Up and Talk. This is Alex and I get to be a pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church. And what we're doing at Messiah is we're going through a three-year Bible reading plan in order to grow up in our faith. And one of the best ways to grow up in our faith is not only using Bible reading plans, not only reading about God's Word, but also talking about God's Word and having conversations about the Bible. And that's exactly what we do on this show. And today on the show, we have with us the one and only Sharon Sattler. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I have been, a, David and I have been a member of Messiah for, I believe, almost 10 years. Um, I worked as an HR director with the state of Texas for 32 years and then worked another 10 years at UTSA uh, in the graduate studies program and in the ROTC program. And I am now retired. I have got four wonderful sons and four beautiful and wonderful daughters-in-law. I've got 16 grands and six great-grands. And I have a wonderful, loving, and supporting husband. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, uh, today we are going to cover uh, together the readings from September 19th through 25th. And if you are an avid listener of this show, you know I like to keep it accessible and simple. So we are going to focus on the um, historical books for today, and that is Second Samuel chapter 9 through 12. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening here, so let's give a quick summary of what's going on. So first in chapter 9, uh, David goes and finds a long-lost relative of Jonathan, the son of Saul, whom David was really good friends with Jonathan. And he finds this uh, relative of Jonathan, uh, I said that wrong already, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is crippled, but David goes over to Mephibosheth and says, hey, I want to treat you right. I cared a lot about Uh, Jonathan, I want to honor Saul, even though he was a really mean guy. And uh, he just takes Mephibosheth in as his own, and he eats like a king, literally, at the king's table. And uh, the servants of Jonathan's family, uh, Mephibosheth, uh, end up being uh, servants uh, in the house of David. And then David uh, goes and defeats Ammon and Syria. He goes out to war, and uh, it shows how uh, just another example of David winning a lot of battles and being really good at fighting. And then chapter 11, the chapter uh, very well known and made famous from the Bible. Often uh, we think of the song Hallelujah, um, seen in the movie Shrek or um, just Maybe you've heard it before the movie Shrek came out, where it said, uh, I heard there was a secret chord. Uh, He saw her bathing on the roof. Uh, So this is the story of David and Bathsheba. And David is in his house, and he is walking around, and he um, is walking around on the roof, I believe, and then he sees Bathsheba bathing. And he calls her in with uh, by his servant and sleeps with her. And then uh, she says, I'm pregnant. 
So then, in order to cover this up, David uh, brings Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's uh, husband, back from the battles and and is, is hoping that Uriah will spend the night with his wife and uh, they will do the deed. And then that will, you know, her conception will be um, perceived as being from Uriah. So Uriah will be seen as the father of this kid that is actually David's kid. And uh, so he's hoping that's what happens, but Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife, uh, to even sleep in the home because there are so many men fighting and he does not feel like that is a valiant or honorable thing to do, which he is correct, actually. And so then uh, David tries to get him drunk uh, in hopes that uh, he will, you know, go and sleep with his wife so he can uh, cover up this whole pregnancy thing. That still doesn't work. So then he orders his commander, Joab, uh, once Uriah goes back to war, to um, find a way to get Uriah killed, to put him in the front lines where a lot of the hard fighting is going on. I'm guessing Uriah wasn't very good at fighting. Uh, but in order to do this, Joab gets closer and closer to this city that they're trying to take over, and they suffer a lot of casualties. So it's not a very smart military move, but it accomplishes what David wanted to have happen, which is kill Uriah, cover up this whole pregnancy thing. I guess it wasn't really that covered up, but at least for David, from his perspective, Uriah didn't know about it. So Nathan the prophet, who's followed David around uh, for most of his life, comes and tells him uh, a story. And David gets angry at the, the main character of this story. And Nathan turns it around on him and says, you're that person who is wrong, who has wronged uh, this, this man, Uriah, taking another person's wife as your own and conceiving a son. And uh, David repents of his sin, but God still... Uh, uh, gives consequences to that sin and the child that they that Bathsheba has by David uh, does get sick and, and dies um, then she ends up having another son whom we know as Solomon and that is basically the end of this section of scripture so there's a lot that's going on a lot of different stories and snippets one of the most famous stories in all the Bible and uh, Sharon what stood out to you when you were reading this Okay, well, I agree with you that I made a, a, a mental thought that these are some of the most remembered chapters mm -hmm. for me in the old in the Old Testament. And um, in in chapter nine, I saw David uh, as a man of his word. Yeah, he had promised his friend Jonathan that he would care for his family, and he kept that promise. Exactly. Um, and then in chapter 10, uh, probably people that are historians and that are big on history, they see more in there than I did. I saw a lot of fighting <laughs> and wars, yeah. Yeah. But, but I guess during this time, uh, this would be when um, the Lord gave David that ability to, uh, to build up Israel and to make Israel a great, a great nation. Right. Uh, and then in uh, chapter 11, as you said, the famous story of David and Bathsheba. And they, David's, I guess, his adulterous sin, his deception, and murder of one of his best warriors, Uriah. 
Uh, and then chapter 12, of course, when Nathan the prophet uses a story to make David realize what he had done and how he had sinned against against God. And then, of course, David did realize his guilt and confessed his sin to God. Yeah. But with sin, there do come consequences. So that's kind of yeah. what I what stood out to yeah, me. Yeah, definitely. I I like that you say with sin there there still comes consequences. A lot of times, I think you know we're tempted to. I mean, grace is everything. Uh, we are saved by grace. It's nothing that we do that earns salvation, and um, I don't. We don't have to think that God is punishing us or anything because the ultimate punishment and full wrath of God was was poured out upon Jesus finally on the cross. Um, so it's it's a different story now uh, because of Jesus, uh, but there right. are earthly consequences. We live in a broken and fallen world, and there are consequences to sin. Uh, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sometimes I think our temptation is to say, is to remember the, the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, and we remember, uh, you know, neither do I condemn you. And then... But he also says, go and sin no more. Uh, because yeah. if we, you know, and Paul says, uh, because of grace, should should we keep on sinning be- so that grace may abound? Because we have all the grace in the world, we be- because we get God's grace full blast all the time. Uh, should we keep on sinning and going around and doing these things? Um, no, we shouldn't. Um, and, and so I, th- I think that's important to remember that there are consequences to sin and God allows, you know, the, the consequences to happen uh, here. It was a really severe consequence of this, this child dying. The wages of sin is death and we are all born in sin. Um, so that's a tough lesson, a tough uh, situation there. But the, the amazing thing is the forgiveness, the eternal forgiveness that is given to David. Uh, there is right. the consequence of the child dying, but then there's also new life. So there's kind of this reversal that we're seeing in these chapters as well with the birth of Solomon. Uh, I think a lot of times people think that Solomon, and I thought this for a while, that Solomon was the, the, the kid that David initially had with Bathsheba, but we forget that it's actually the first child ended up dying, getting sick and dying uh, because of that. Something that right. that really stood out to me uh, in that, that moment was in chapter 12 at verse 18, where his servants were trying to figure out how do we tell them this news? We know this child is really sick. It's, it's the child's probably going to die. How do we tell David the news? They say he may do himself some harm. And so it's. Im- I think that's really important because, you know, these are real people and who experienced life like we do. Um, they struggled with sin and temptations. And it uh, seems here that David is, that they're concerned about David uh, having suicidal thoughts and struggling um, with with depression and those kinds of things. And so I think that's important to, to see that, you know, um, even though David, even with all these struggles, David was still called a man after God's own heart. 
He was still, exactly. uh, he was never abandoned by God. Um, and, and, and yeah, and, and, and so that, that's, that's interesting. And, and I, I like that you mentioned the story of, uh, that Nathan told David and one note that I read, uh, said that, it, that, it, that Nathan probably presented this parable, this story to David, probably presented it to him as a legal matter. Because people would often go to the kings and and say, "I I have this issue that I bring before you. These two people were disputing about this, and how should this be dealt with?" And so, Nathan probably presented the situation to David not as uh, a, a a fictional story with a moral lesson, but rather as a presented it as a true story that needed David's judgment to be cast upon uh, this situation in his kingdom. And so... I never, I never thought about that, but I see it makes sense what, what, what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So... Let me see here. Yeah. So my note here says, Nathan tells David a parable but he acts as though he is presenting him with a legal dispute. This presentation is effective as it causes David to pronounce judgment upon himself. So I believe, um, I believe that the thing that causes uh, that, I guess, commentator or uh, is a study Bible that I'm using to, to say that is probably the context of David casting such harsh judgment upon that person and just and being so emotional about it because what would be emotional for him because would he get that emotional if he knew it was just a parable it'd be like oh Nathan you're just telling me your silly stories again and and blah 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 but it was a serious matter and David uh, treated it very seriously with um, real judgment, and in doing right. so, he judged himself. Um, so yeah. that that was an interesting thing that that I found. So, uh, was there anything that was confusing or concerning for you in these chapters? I I don't think so much um, confusing or concerning. However, you know, in for. For some people reading this, you look at chapter 9 and you see that, and if we know David, we know he was a man after God's own heart, and, and we see that he was he kept his promises and he prayed to the Lord. And then, you know, I look and I say, wow, you know, how could he then have, hmm. in some ways, you understand the lust for Bathsheba, but then he killed his, one of his best warriors and he tries yeah. to cover it up. And yeah. then he doesn't even see that he did anything wrong until Nathan yeah. calls him out and tells him this story. Right. So I think sometimes, you know, we do ask ourselves, why, Lord, why, why did this have to happen like this? Right. But uh, um, we know often that sin does affect other people that happen to be innocent in this particular story, and that would have oh, been yeah. Uriah and David's first son. Yeah. Uh, so... Well, even Bathsheba, and actually what was another interesting tidbit was that Bathsheba was purifying herself. So she was on her menstrual cycle, and she was obeying the Levitical law that was 
given by God for the people of Israel. So she was doing the right thing. Um, I don't know if it was common to to bathe on the roof. I, I, I guess it was. Um, I'm not really sure what the cultural practice. I tried to look that up, but I didn't really see anything about that um, in, in the notes of the study Bible that I looked at. Um, but the one, one interesting thing uh, that was kind of concerning, and I'll get to this a little bit more in the application at the end, was that at the beginning of chapter 11, um, it said, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And uh, they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So David was supposed to be going out to war, but instead he stayed home. And because of that, he found himself in a situation that he never should have been in. Um, So that was, that was really interesting. So he was disobeying God uh, by not going out and, and, and fighting the battles that he was supposed to be fighting by sending other people to do his job that he was called to do. And also by lusting after another woman, uh, another, not just another woman, but another, another wife. And then who, who was obeying the law, but I guess she felt like she had to obey the servant or I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what would have caused Bathsheba when the servant came to her door to say, okay, sure. (laughs) But, you know, uh, um, yeah. It's, inter- it's interesting because uh, David and I had that conversation, and I, you know, m- my comment was, well, if if the servant came and said the king wants you, you know, back then my thought was, well, you know, you obey the king. Yeah. But you know, but then again, you know, she did not do the right thing either. But was she not in a position to refuse? I guess that would, you know, I, right. I don't know enough about their how things were back then. But I know women didn't have as much say so. And if the king probably asked for something, you pretty much did it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't. Yeah, I, I was kind of interested about that. Um, but I know that. One note that I read said that if she wasn't married, then David probably would have added her to his harem of women that he had, which wasn't according to uh, the practices of of God either. But that's what kings did then, and and that was part of the culture. It really was. Um, So it wouldn't have been seen as abnormal to uh, a lot of those people in that regard. But when you think about that, what the Israelites are doing is they're really living just like the other nations. And so David is acting as, in this situation, David is acting as just like any other king rather than acting like a unique and very different king that he should be because he's God's representative to the world even. Because the Israelites are supposed, the reason why God gave the Israelites all these weird laws and all these uh, very detailed formations and how to build the tabernacle and all those things and, and what here's what you can eat and here's what you cannot eat is a big reason for that is to separate them, to set them apart from the rest of the world 
and the word holy literally means to set apart. So they were set apart in a special way, and they were very unique. Um, and so David is not being unique as a king. He's being he's acting like any other king would, and just taking any woman that he wants for himself, um, and you know just sending other guys to do his military work, even though he was more than capable of doing that. And so here it's God's people not acting the way God has commanded them to. And I think today, you know, we're also commanded to be very different from other people. So um, what gives you hope when you're looking at uh, this section of Scripture? Well, um, uh, what gives me hope is that, that even though there is sin in the world, when we repent and are truly sorry for what we have done, which is what David did, then God will forgive us. Right. And I, I think the other thing that I've often thought about many times when I myself, you know, sin, and you feel so terrible about some of the things that you do, and I know that God loved David, and, you know, he, David was a man after God's heart. And so sometimes this is not an excuse, but I say, but for some people that think that God can't forgive them, I say, yeah. if David could commit murder and be forgiven, then God can certainly forgive me too. Exactly. Yeah, I like that a lot, uh, because it is important for people to, that's really the gospel. It's important for people to hear that. There's no sin that God can't forgive um, he, he desires to uh, give all of his grace as, as much as possible. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, one thing I noticed that was really interesting was kind of the reversal um, that you see. It's kind of a, a chiasm, I guess you could say. And a chiasm is something that begins a certain way, get to a certain point in the middle, and then ends in a similar way that it began. So it kind of comes around full circle is what uh, right. we commonly call it. Um, and it's kind of a chiasm or coming full circle from chapter 9 to chapter 12. So in chapter 9, what David does is really restorative. So he keeps his promise. He keeps his word. He does what he's supposed to do as um, a person who is... He is acting as a man after God's own heart, keeping his promise to Jonathan, taking care of someone who is marginalized because he's crippled. So Mephibosheth is instead, um, he is disfigured, uh, his, he's crippled at the feet, and back then that would be even more um, differentiating and marginalizing than it is today. And he raises, he exalts Mephibosheth and brings him into his own household as his own family. And it kind of reminds me a little bit about of, of Jesus, because there's a passage in Isaiah that says um, that Jesus was disfigured, that he his image was, was disfigured beyond the likeness of any human. And it's kind of talking about Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus yeah. comes as this very humble person and gets exalted into a kingly place. And so that, that, that's a little bit of an interesting Jesus connection. But in chapter 9, you see David kind of restoring, being an agent of restoration in 
um, the way and the brokenness of creation. Like the brokenness that Mephibosheth is experiencing is that he is completely different. He is he is um, crippled and you know marginalized and outcast for life until David comes along and says you know, you belong in my house, you belong at my table. And that's what God does to us. We are um, crippled by sin. We are corrupted and broken by that. But instead, he brings us to his table. So that happens in chapter 9. Then in chapter 10, David's still obeying. Chapter 11, he definitely does not obey, as we talked about very clearly. Um, And then chapter 12 is that repentance chapter where you see that repentance of David and God says, you know, your sin is, is, is wiped out, um, is wiped away. I'm not, you are not going to die, but there is a consequence to your sin. Your child will die. But then, uh, in, at the end of chapter 12, David goes to this city that they're trying, Rabbah, that they're trying to seize and he actually goes out to war with his men, which is what he was supposed to be doing in the first place. And he goes from doing what he was supposed to do to staying home and sinning really badly to returning to the way of life that he was supposed to be living uh, all along, that he was living in chapters 9 and 10. And then it says he, he, you know, he celebrated and David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So there's kind of that celebration at the end. So it's kind of a, uh, a, you know, good things at the beginning, a really bad sin, repentance, and then a full celebration of victory. And it kind of reminds me of the big story of creation. There's sin in the world and brokenness, and Jesus comes and offers us forgiveness and says, you're not going to die. Um, there are consequences. The wages of sin is death, but... The victory uh, into uh, the great city, into paradise, is coming soon. So, yeah. Anything else that you want to add before we take a little bit of a break? No, thank you for for um, sharing all of that information. I, I I learned a little bit more, maybe a lot more about uh, about these chapters. So it was it was good. Thank you, Pastor Alex. Of course, thank you, Sharon, and we will be right back with a short break. All righty, welcome back. This is Alex, and I'm with Sharon, and we are talking about 2 Samuel chapters 9 through 12. Today has been really interesting. We've talked about a lot of things. But Sharon, I want to ask you our final question. How do you see this section of Scripture having importance to our lives today? Well, I I see it and, and believe that what I've read helps me to know that we are forgiven children of God. And we have to believe that Jesus died for our sins. And when we fall before God confessing the sinful things that we do every day, many times over and over, then we can live freely knowing that God loves us as a father loves his children. And when we are truly repentant, he does forgive us. And the other thing is that 
uh, I, I try to be reminded that we live in a world that is um, uh, evil. There are bad things happening in our world today. But one of the things that I'm reminded about is that while this world will continue to change, God never changes. God is always the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. Thank you for uh, speaking the word of God and the word of grace and forgiveness to our listeners and to me as well. I really appreciate that. Um, It's seen very clearly in the story of David and his life. Um, We hope that you see that as well, um, because it's something that Jesus has given to you freely, uh, listener, as well. So uh, one thing that I uh, said I would mention later on is a little bit of a story that I heard from a friend of mine. And um, this story goes like this. So there was a person, uh, a guy who was uh, at a place that he really wasn't supposed to be at. Uh, we'll, we'll say it like that. He was at a place that he wasn't supposed to be at, and he parked his car, um, and there was somebody that ended up running into his car somehow, and the gear shift or something like that, and it rolled down the street and wrecked into something and was towed away. So the guy wakes up the next day and finds out that his car isn't there anymore and his car has to be towed. And of course this costs some money and stuff. And he's, he's all upset about this. And the dad of my friend, um, who had, uh, my friend who told me this story about another person, um, the dad was telling this guy, you know, uh, there's the story of David and Bathsheba where David, uh, was supposed to be out at war but because he wasn't in the place that he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing, uh, he found himself uh, being tempted and, and he found himself experiencing consequences that weren't good for him. And so I think the application is uh, definitely, for me, is, you know, it's important to be be in the right place at the right time. You know, God has given us tasks and things to do. And those are, even if they're mundane, even if they're ordinary, uh, they're good things. Uh, God has given us the roles of uh, family members, of friends, of a husband, wife, uh, father, mother, or sister, or brother. And we kind of talked about vocation with Pastor uh, Caleb not too long ago. But I think, you know, when we're doing the things that God has given us to do, those are really good things. And uh, quite frankly, they keep us out of trouble. God has designed uh, our lives uh, to be a certain way. And um, that's his kind of design and his way of guiding us and guiding our, our path and our way of life. And just because something seems ordinary or mundane uh, doesn't mean that it's not significant It just means that God is directing you through it. So that's the application and story I have today. Uh, One last interesting thing that I found really cool was that Solomon's name, his second name, was Jedidiah. And uh, this was a name commanded by God uh, to give to David's son Solomon. It was common for kings to rule under 
uh, a different name than their given name. So Solomon's given name is actually Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. So this brings me to my uh, random question for you today, Sharon. Um, I recently had a son. His name is Judah, which means the praised one. Uh, my other son, Jackson, his name means, uh, oh wow, I'm forgetting. This is <laughs> this, this now sounds so bad. Um, Jackson's name means um, God has, uh, uh, I think, highly favored or something like that. Um, but basically, okay. um, we we chose our, our kids' names for their meaning and that kind of thing. So my random question is, what are some of the names that you almost named your children but didn't name them? <laughs> well, wait, if we were going to have a girl, we were going to name her Hannah. And so we had that name picked out. But, you know, in the we had boys, and it's very interesting because uh, Matthew was the name that both David and I chose. When it came to our youngest son, uh, Jim, who was born, uh, David wanted to uh, name him James, but call him Jimmy. And mm. I like James, but I wasn't too crazy about Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so, yeah. So uh, it's interesting, though, because the youngest son, James, has three names. His okay. name is James and Jimmy and Jim. And nice. depending upon where he is at any given time, he will know uh, the people who are calling him by that name, whether he was in yeah. high school or college or now. So that's, that's kind of an interesting story. But we really pretty much... Did not, uh, I don't recall that we struggled with names. Yeah. Uh, we struggled a lot with uh, Jackson. We finally settled on that. That was one of Aaron's names. Um, Jackson means God has been gracious. I remembered now. Uh, thank you, Lord. Um, but um, we, what we would do is we would have these name meetings because we just could not agree on anything. So we had three separate <laughs> name meetings where we would think for a while and then we'd schedule an, uh, a meeting and we would each come forward with three names that we had thought of privately and then we would reveal them one at a time and we would discuss them and then we would rank the six names um, from favorite to least favorite and of course after three meetings Aaron's name won the day Jackson J-A-X-O-N which we thought was really unique and it turns out that that is a very trendy name for kids born in 2016 uh, but I think uh, this next one Judah is pretty unique and uh, so I like unique names I like names that I can form into nicknames and names that mean something as well so uh, I've been called a lot of different nicknames. One, I was before I came to Messiah, I was trying to think about what I would be known as. You know, it kind of depends on what how how the congregation is and their culture and everything. And I wanted to be for a while. I wanted to be known as Pastor Al. You know, oh. and um, we were in Oklahoma City, 
because we had been staying with our friends Becca and Dylan because we had a pod with all our stuff in it that would arrive at a certain date. And so we were just traveling down by van, um, Aaron, Jackson, and I. And we were staying with our friends, and they had this whole, like, barbecue cookout get-together to kind of do a reunion because that's where we vickered at. So we had some friends there that we hung out with. And I was talking about it. Yeah, I, I was telling people, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be Pastor Al. I'm going to tell people, hey, I'm Pastor Al. I'm Pastor Al, you know. And somebody said, that sounds like some old guy in a sweater. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers, people think Mr. Rogers was cool, you know. Um, but, right. uh, yeah, so after that, I kind of rethought it and um, turns out, Pastor Alex is the way it goes around here. So I think it's a good thing. I, and uh, yeah. I kind of like Pastor Alex. And I, I do and, too. And I will, yeah, and I, I will say one final thing that, that the girl that we never had, who we would have named Hannah, we now have a granddaughter named Hannah. So Aww. God was good. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Yes. I think at one point, and I wanted to name our son Leon. Or Leon, which means lion. I was trying to go with the the French vibe since Lahue is a French name, um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, my wife wasn't having that. So yeah, well, at least y'all settled. You were able to come to some <laughs> agreement on the names of your sons. Exactly. <laughs> you got to awesome. you got to pick your battles, uh, just like David. Um, anyways, yeah. <laughs> Sharon, thanks for talking with me today about God's Word. Uh, listener, um, if you want to email us any questions or comments, you can do so at growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. We will talk with you next time.